For those of you that are still in the, the auditorium, I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John's all the way towards the back of the Bible. It's, it's one of those small little epistles that the, uh, the Apostle John wrote to the church and uh, speaks very uh, clearly and, and, and very clearly. Um, uh, forcefully, if you would, or authoritatively to us on how that we ought to live our life as believers. And so this morning, I want to take the time to share with you the reasons for obedience. This week, in Vacation Bible School, um, we had opportunity to uh, uh, not only teach them Bible stories, but we had a, a specific night on Wednesday night where we did evangelism night, and we shared the gospel with them. And, uh, and in that process, we told them about the, the gospel message and what Jesus has done for them. And we had some little ones give their hearts and lives to the Lord. And uh, because of that, um, I just was inspired this week to, to remind us how that we ought to live after we receive Jesus Christ. What is that that God says to us that our life should be like? And so I thought there, there's perhaps some adults um, who need to hear this as well. So I want to talk to you this morning about from the, the first epistle of John in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, uh, the reasons for obedience. So if again, if you would, stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning in some form or fashion, uh, it is on the screen for you to follow along. And I'm reading uh, in 1 John chapter 2, and starting in verse 3, and it says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth the word in him, verily is love of God perfected. Thereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought also so to walk even as he walked. Father, we come before you today and thank you for the words of the Apostle John who speak to us of how that we can know that we know that we know. And, and Lord, I've, I've used that with children and with adults over the years. It's so important that we know that we know that we know. What are the signs that we know that we know you? And Lord, today, I pray that you would open up our spiritual ears to hear, Father, from uh, heaven above, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, speak unto us that we may know that we know, and if we don't know that we know, that, Lord, we'll not leave this place today until we make sure that we know that we know, because we are living in accordance with his commands. Oh, Father, I pray that you'd move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross. Let it not be my word, but your word spoken today. And Lord, may the Holy Spirit convict our hearts. Lord, may he lift up our hearts. May he challenge our hearts. May he save us if we need salvation today. Lord, and for those that are saved and need to be assured, Lord, may they receive that assurance for those that are lost, but yet think they might uh, get in somehow. Lord, let them see there's only one way to God, and it is through Jesus Christ. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated this morning. Obedience is a theme that is a central theme throughout all of Scripture. Uh, from the story of creation to the end of, uh, of Revelation, it is difficult to turn a page in the Bible that doesn't deal directly or indirectly with God's call to all of us for obedience. 
Remember, Jesus not only said, believe on me, he also said, follow me. God places a high premium on our obedience. It seems that in our days that we're living today, that uh, obeying God's commands is often ignored even by those who call themselves Christians. It is easily dismissed or glossed over saying, well, as long as I do something or as long as I'm better than someone else, that should be good enough. So why is it that we seem to think that it's okay and easy to, to excuse ourselves from the obedience of God? Well, I think that perhaps maybe the reason is that because obedience or the lack thereof speaks to our hearts with such volumes, it either, it either tells us that we're doing what God has called us to do or that we're not living where we ought to be living and we need to make some changes in our life and, and we might be fighting and balking that change in our life because we like living in our sin. It confronts our sin. Now listen, it's easy to point our finger and say it confronts somebody else's sin, but it confronts our sin. It challenges our lives. It runs contrary to what I think the, 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 the unwritten mantra of the world is today. Who are you to tell me what to do? I don't know how many times over the years I've heard that when I have shared what the Bible says about our act of obedience, our need for living for Christ, and have them say, who are you or who is God that he should tell me who to do, what to do? He is the God of the universe. He is the one who has made it all. He is the one who paid for it all. He is the one who has given us the instruction. He has every right to tell us what to do. Yet God's commands us to simply obey. Not because he's on some power trip, but rather because he wants what is best for us. Did you know that God's commands are not to kill our fun? Oh, I've heard that over the years. Well, I don't want to follow the Ten Commandments because it takes all the fun. Now, you Christians don't have any fun anymore. Well, listen, let me tell you something. Start breaking some of those commandments and let me ask you, how fun is your life? All right. Um, also, did you know that uh, uh, um, God didn't give us these commands to put us in a box, but he gave us every one of those commands to protect our lives? Again, start disobeying those commands, and quickly you will see how much trouble you will be in. I read about a woman who went to her pastor to tell him that one of her relatives had just recently died. The pastor asked, well, was he a Christian? She said, oh, yes. He made a profession of faith and was baptized at the age of seven. He never went back to church, nor did he ever read his Bible in the 70 years after. But, oh, I think that he was a Christian. Listen, such a claim does not stand up and hold up to what John has just said. And there are a lot of people in this life who are making those very claims. As a pastor, I am asked oftentimes, preacher, I know that they weren't living where they ought to be living. They weren't doing what they ought to be doing. They hadn't been reading the Bible. They hadn't been praying. They hadn't been going to church. But preacher, can you preach them into heaven? No, I can't. But I can tell you the gospel so that you can find your way. 
You see, the reality is we can't just say because something happened to us and we paid it no mind the rest of our life, that makes us a believer in Jesus Christ. Listen, my friends, I'm going to share with you some truths this morning that I want you to listen to for every believer because every adult or child needs to know that they know that they know so that they have the confidence to know it and live it. So I have a question for you I want you to think about all the time that I'm preaching. And now I'm really worried about saying that, but, but it's, it's something I think that you need to, to think about. I want you to think about this question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence when you went to trial to convict you? Now let me say it again. If you as a person were arrested for being a Christian and you went to trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I want you to think about that question as I give you four reasons that the Apostle John gives to each of us for obeying God's commands from this text. First of all, we need obedience because it provides the evidence of our salvation. Obedience provides the world with the evidence that we have been saved. John begins by saying to us, we know that we have come to know him in verse 3. John is simply saying that not only can we know God, as we oftentimes know uh, facts about God, we know things in our head, but John is saying that we can know God, meaning that not only know him in our head, but know him in our heart. In other words, we often know a lot about God, and we recognize that, that we we are to act upon such facts, but sometimes our hearts doubt. John is saying that we can know in our heart, as well as our head, the very facts and the very faith that we have in God. And one of those evidence or signs of knowing that we know is that we obey His commands. Let me be very clear here. John is not answering the question, How does one become a Christian? How does one get saved? That's not what he's asking or what he's answering. He's not telling us that we have to have this act of obedience in order to receive Christ as our Savior. No, we are saved through faith. But once we are saved by faith, then we have to begin to act out the obedience of God and follow His commands. So here we see that that it is a manifestation of the way that we live. It manifests to the world in our obedience that we are His. In other words, we know that we know God because we keep His commandments. John is not teaching that salvation is conditional upon obedience. John is teaching that salvation is the evidence of the fact that because we are obedient, it is the proof that we have been saved by the grace of God. You can't get it any clearer than Jesus' own words. What he said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Man, you can't get any clearer than that. Jesus said, if, if you really love me, if you put your faith and trust in me, then just keep my commandments. And in turn, that obedience contributes to the assurance of our salvation. 
Obedience is a sign that we know God. Recognizing that God expects His people to live certain ways. And what is that certain ways? None other than His way. How do we know that we know God? The test is rather we keep His commandments. Do we obey the Word of God? And listen, you'll never obey the Word of God unless you spend time in this Word. That's why we're asking you throughout this year to spend time in God's Word, reading it every day, or at least four or five times a day. We're giving you a reading plan, telling you that this is how you're going to know how that God expects you to live out your Christian life. Is the Bible your final rule of faith and your practice? Be careful how you answer that. For many people place a greater emphasis on traditions of the church than on the teaching of the Bible. In addition, in our Christian culture today, we have assigned the obligation of living out our Christian life to certain groups of people. The pastors, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, you all have to, you all, have to do all of these things. You have to love the Lord, give tithe, and, 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 and obey, and, and, and be faithful to church, while the rest of us um, we get the, the, uh, the privileges of being a Christian. Yes, like experiencing God's comfort and His grace through all of my troubles so that I never have to go through anything because I am a Christian. We have this idea that, that all I got to do is obey God partly. But listen, let me remind you of the fact that partial obedience is absolutely, definitely disobedience. Okay? There is no, I'm okay as long as I'm partially obeying. No, my friends, partial obedience is simply an act of disobedience. Oh, we are, as parents, I, I see my daughter reminding my granddaughter of that very truth. And, and we as parents are great at telling our children. But who's telling us? God is. God is saying to us, your partial obedience is simply disobedience to me as any standard. All right, remember the question that I asked you to think about? Are you remembering it? Are you thinking about it? Let me just give it to you again so that, that, you, that you remember it. I asked you, if you were arrested for being a Christian and went to trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? The second thing that we see that John reminds us is, not only is obedience the evidence of our salvation, obedience pours or, or, or proves our lives are transformed. Now there are, uh, we, I've been talking about this for the last several weeks. I've been sharing with folks, uh, there just seems to be a theme that the Lord has got me on. And, and I've been talking about sharing our faith, going out as salt and light, and, and sharing the gospel and, and reaching the world. But listen, I've said that we need to be an audio-visual Christian. The last couple of weeks, I've said a lot about speaking up. Too many Christians are not speaking up. Too many Christians are keeping their faith to themselves instead of sharing it with the world. But yet God says that not only are we to be an audio Christian, but we're to be a visual Christian. That means that John says, as he restates verse 3, with a warning. He adds a little warning. The man who says, I know him, but does not do my commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What John is simply pointing out is, if you claim to know God, but your life is not changed by knowing him, that's a certain sign that you really don't know God. It may be up here, but it sure ain't in here. A lot of people miss heaven by 18 inches. 
You know what I mean? 18 inches. That's the average height between our brain and our heart. We'll have a head knowledge, but we won't have a heart knowledge. We won't have a heart relationship. Listen, my friends, God doesn't care how much knowledge you have. He cares about your heart condition, about where your heart is with Him. Do you love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might? He wants you to love Him. So He says, if, if you're claiming to be a Christian, but yet you're not living like a Christian... You're lying to yourself and to everyone else around you because there is no way that we can be a Christian and refuse to accept God's commands and obey them. God is saying that the person who does not keep my commandments does not have the truth at all. Why? Because the truth of God turns our lives upside down. It changes us. It transforms us. Once you and I have received the truth of the salvation, of the forgiveness, of the grace of God, of the fact that we were dead but yet now are alive, we can't continue to live like we were living. It's got to be put, we got to crucify our flesh so that our spirit might live. Every day we've got to get up and say, God, I crucify myself that it's not I that liveth but you that lives through me. If that's not happening... It's because there is no salvation. Once you have that truth, you have that fire in your belly and a love for living for God. It changes everything. God's truth always leads to love. It always leads to obedience. It always leads to a transformed life. So when there's a transformed life... Uh, is present, then we know that there is a salvation present. When there is no transformed life, and when you can say, I was saved at this point, but my life hasn't changed a bit, then you were never saved at that point. You better come to the altar today. If your life is not different from what it was before you claimed to be a Christian, then my friends, the Bible says the truth is not in you, and you need Jesus. The reality of this is throughout all of Scripture. Now, it's not just here. Let me give you several. Let me just run through very quickly several instances throughout Scripture where it says the same thing, but in a little different way. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, Grace always reigns in righteousness. See what he says? Grace creates righteousness. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, Salvation always leads to an act of obedience. Listen, when, we're, when we get saved, we want to follow God in obedience. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Justification is always accomplished by sanctification. Listen, by the fact that God's changing us every day, making us more like Him and less like us. In James chapter 2, James says, Faith always shows itself in and through our works. Here in 1 John chapter 2, John is saying the same thing. Obedience always expresses itself with a transformed life. So let me ask you, would you say that your life is transformed from the time that you said you accepted Jesus Christ to where you are now? If it hasn't, then my friends, I need to meet you at the altar this morning so that it can. The third thing that we see from this text is obedience grows out of love for Him and His love for us. All right, John continues, <clears throat> but if anyone obeys his word, 
God's love is truly made complete in him. Verse 5. In these verses, uh, John broadens the scope from simply obeying his commands to now broadening it to obey his words. But it is the second half of that verse that I want us to focus on that catches my attention. It says, God's love is truly made complete in him. What John seems to be saying to us all is that our love for God is a reflection of God's love for us. Let me tell you how much God loved us. He came from the portals of heaven, from uh, the eternal place of, uh, of glory, and he took upon himself the human form of flesh. He grew up in a world that didn't want him. He went to a cross that he did, died on that he didn't do anything to deserve. And then he rose from the grave so that you and I could have not only forgiveness of sin, but we could have the promise of eternal life. That's how much God loves us. So if we look and we see that how much God loves us, our love is a response to him first loving us. We love God because God first loved us. All last week we, we talked about that we were on a journey seeking a treasure looking for the one true God. And I kept reminding the boys and girls every night, listen, the exciting part of that is this, that God was looking for you. Thank you, my friend. God was looking for you before you ever started looking for Him. For God so loved the world. God loved us while we were yet at war, enmity, at odds. Uh, uh, We were still shaking our fist at God. God said, I love you and I'm going to die for you. How much does the Lord love us? How much does He show His love for us? And out of that love, we are to obey Him. Here, John addresses our motive. In essence, he is communicating that we know that we know God when we love to do what He commands. Now, there are four motives for obedience that exist in our world. But I want to give them to you, and I want to tell you my favorite one. First of all, we can obey because we have to. Our kids obey because they have to, (laughs) okay? Um, And we'll talk a little bit about that, um, maybe. Uh, We can obey because we need to. I need to keep my job, so I got to obey my boss. (laughs) You know, I got to keep on working so that I can pay the mortgage and the light bill, so uh, I got to obey the boss, we can obey because we want to. Oh, I, I want to do that for you. I don't have to, I want to. But my favorite is this last one. And it is simply that we can obey because we get to. We get to. I love that. I think that's where we all ought to be. I get to. And I want to tell you a little story that, that kind of tells that. And... and When we get to, when we recognize that it's not an obligation, it's not because I have to, because I need to, because I want to, but I get to. It's an honor. It's a joy. Listen to this story. I read about a housekeeper who went to work for a bachelor. Each day when the the man would leave for work, he would leave a list of projects for the housekeeper to complete. Over much time, the two fell in love and became married. Upon arriving back to work after the wedding, his buddies asked him, did you leave her the list? He said, no. 
Well, they said, you know what she's going to do today? She's going to lay on the couch and watch TV and eat bonbons all day. He said, oh, no. Oh, no, she won't. She'll do the task and she'll do more. Not because she has to. Not because she needs to. Not because she wants to. But because she gets to. Because she loves me. You see, that's what God says. We ought to love him to the point that we realize that we get to serve him. When Josh is asking for folks to come and serve next week or week after, um, you know, for the teens, it's not that you have to, you need to, you want to, you get to. You get to be a part of what God is doing because you love him. True love for God is expressed in our moral obedience. Not just our physical obedience, but in our moral obedience. Keeping those moral rules and laws that God has said so that He can protect us. We keep the commandments because of our love for God. When we comprehend what Jesus did for us by sacrificing Himself on the cross, our response should be to love Him and to get to obey Him. Love delights to do what God has called us to do because it understands the cost and the sacrifice of that love. Jesus loved to do the will of God. He got to do the will of God while he was here on earth, and we do too. And if Jesus liked to do the will and got to do the will of God, shouldn't we want to, need to, have to, get to do the will of God? The fourth thing that I want you to hear today is obedience can be seen through our walk. I want you to understand the world is looking at us as a church today. Probably more than any other generation, the world is looking at the church because the church has failed to be the church. And they're wondering, when are we going to get it together? When are we going to start walking what we're preaching? When are we going to start living what we say we believe? The world is looking because they know that what the world is offering is, is a counterfeit. But what they're asking is, if what we're offering is the real deal, why aren't more of you living like it? Why aren't more of you living it out? In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, a verse we didn't read, but I want to give it to you, John called Jesus Christ the righteous one. Then John wrote, this is how we know that we are in him in verses 5 and 6. Whosoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. John employs another expression of being a Christian. He says, are you in him? The phrase is synonymous with living out or abiding in him. It applies to a living relationship of the deepest and closest sort with God through Jesus Christ. This relationship issues forth not in passivity, not in indifference or inactivity, but to duty. But in active and commitment and love for God's will in intimate ways of showing that we're living for Christ. In other words, if someone said to the Apostle John, I know Christ, John would have replied, good. 
But if you're in him, abiding in Christ, then you will be walking like Christ, living like Christ. How many of you know where the word Christian came from? The word Christian was first used in Antioch, but it wasn't used as a compliment. It was used as an insult. It was used in such a way that it said that, Steve Vance, I've known you all your life, and, and, and since you've become a Christian, I don't recognize you anymore. All I see is that little Christ in you. And what that's saying is, they were saying, you're a Christian, a little Christ. I don't see you anymore. You've disappeared as you've lived in him. That's what we ought to be. More and more people ought to say, I don't see you. I see Christ in you. We're claiming to be Christians, but we're not showing Christ in us. I want to live up to the insult that I now call a compliment. I want to be a Christian. As Jesus lived in obedience to the Father, so should we live in obedience to Jesus. So here's that question again. If you were arrested for being a Christian and went to trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Let me ask it in another way just in case that's confusing you. Would people today know, people in your circle, people of your influence, would they know you're a believer by the way you're living your life? Would they call you a Christian? Would they say that about you? Do you walk as Jesus walked? You've heard it said, actions speak louder than words. Joe has told me many, many times, I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. He's just simply saying he doesn't want to hear me preach, but, but we, we know what he's saying. He'd rather see it lived out in somebody's life than just talked about from the pulpit. Me too. I'd much rather see us living out what we claim to be than claiming to be something that we're not living at all. Are you living in Christ? Are you living for Christ? Are you living because of Christ? Are you resting in Jesus? If you found Him to be the source of every spiritual blessing, you're trusting in Him for your salvation, your fellowship is, is within His grace, then your whole life will have been changed. And there will be evidence of that in your walk. It will be flowing from your heart. Everyone who is united with Christ expresses that union with Christ by living like Christ, by walking as He walked, not as we walked in the world. So I want to close. I need to wrap this up. I wanted to just at the end, just to remind you of the reasons why this sermon should be important to all of us. I think this message should be important to all of us for two simple reasons. It's important to some people because they're professing to be Christians, like that little story I read at the very beginning. But they're not living in accordance with God's word. They really have no deep desire to change anything about their life. They're going to live their way and God can just live with it or not. 
And what John would say to you, if that's you today, John would say to you, you're not a Christian. If you're not obeying what God has commanded you to do, you cannot claim to be a Christian. But, there is a but. You can be today. You can be by simply coming to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, receive His complete forgiveness, and, and, and receive a changed life today. Salvation is available for you. It's there. It's something that you can receive today. Jesus is offering it to all of us all the time. But if you've been living it your way and thinking that you can get by with it, let me tell you, you're not getting by with anything. You'll not get in heaven that way. You must trust Christ. And then this message is important for a second reason. Because I know that there are people, and I deal with them all the time, that are people that are struggling and dealing. I haven't come to my office and they're, they're, they're beating themselves up over the fear that they're not good enough to receive salvation. That they, they, their life just doesn't match up. They're trying all that they can. They're living all that they can, but yet they, they feel like they're, they're just being beaten up all the time by Satan and his lies. And they're struggling with, they're struggling with that, that assurance because there are still small imperfections in their life. Well, let me tell you what John would say to you. I'm not asking for perfection. I'm not asking for perfect obedience to God's word. I'm simply asking you to look at your heart and answer the question, are you keeping God's commands? Are you saying, yes, Lord? I'll live for you, Lord. I'll make those changes with your help. While keeping commandments is not conditional for salvation, it is absolutely the sign or the evidence or the mark of a Christian. And so I want you to be assured today, you don't have to be perfect but as the Apostle Paul said, not that I've obtained already, but that I am striving for. That's the evidence that I'm, that I'm trying every day. Lord, I see as you show me the things in my life, I'm trying to get rid of those things so that I can be more like you and less like me. That's a believer. That's a Christian. And don't let the devil beat you up. Listen, you'll never be perfect on this side of eternity. All you have to do is be obeying obedience. I know that this message may be troubling for some because now you might be saying, am I saved or aren't I saved? Well, listen, here's what I want to tell you. If you're striving for and striving to live for Jesus Christ and keep his word, then yes, you are a believer and live in it every day, loving it, hold on to it and grow in joy of it. But if you said, I could care less, I'm going to do it my way, and we'll see how it pans out at the end, then, my friends, you're not a Christian. If you think you can snub your nose at God and tell God, I'll do it my way, you ain't got no right to tell me that I need to make a change, then you're not a Christian. But I'm telling you that God's salvation is in grace is free for you today. The altar is going to be open in just a moment, and there's going to be an opportunity for you to come 
If you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to speak to myself or Pastor Josh today. Or if you are struggling with that assurance, we want you to know that you know that you know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So let us just confirm that with you. Let us help you. Let us help you to stand in the act of obedience to God's word. And then go out and live it. And love it. Not because you have to, because you want to, because you, but because you get to live for Jesus. I've asked the, the sound room to play some instrumental music. So as they begin to play with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to just take a few moments to pray with you and for you. I want you to begin asking the Lord, what is it that he wants you to do today? Maybe you're here today and you've been, you've been, boy, you, you, there's just some areas of your life that you know that you've been unwilling to surrender to Jesus. And he's saying, if you truly love me, you can do this. Surrender all to me today. If you're here today and, and you've never asked Jesus as your Savior, then, then my heart's desire is that you would come even right now as I, as I pray for you. If you're here this morning and you need to make a public profession that you've received Jesus as your Savior, you're going to get an opportunity to do that. If you're here today and you're struggling with What's good enough? God's grace is good enough. We're saved by grace. Then we live by faith. Father, as you are speaking to hearts and lives this morning, as uh, Lord, I ask in just a few moments after I pray that folks will stand to their feet and those that need to will make their way to the altar. I pray that, Father, today, that Jesus, you would just speak to your, your people. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us where conviction is needed. Comfort us where comfort is needed. Assure us where assurance is needed. And Lord, make sure that we know that we know you, not in our head, but in our heart. Oh, Father, help us to love you. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Father, would you speak to your people today, young and old, Lead and guide and, and, and lead unto salvation, I pray in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet? And if the 